0: Welcome to Stove Side Chat. The chef is ready for your kitchen tour. Please come this way.
1: Thanks, uh, Chefs Biosa and Krasinski, for joining us today. Uh, it's great talking with you guys. So, how are things in uh, San Francisco now?
2: Um, I would say, Things are kind of coming together, uh, you know, diners are out and, uh, you know, we're approaching summertime. So, you know, I, I felt like last year we missed, we practically missed summer. Um, just as we had, we were preoccupied with many other things like like the rest of the country. So, um, it's, uh, it's nice to dive back in and, and truly taste the bounty that is starting uh, to hit us.
1: Right. So let's start with uh, you guys telling us uh, a little bit about yourself, your background, how you got here.
2: Yeah. Wow. That's a, That's a long story. <laughs> a long story. Yeah, I think
0: a, uh, for me, I, Stuart and I met studying art and photography in college. Um, and then that was a path I would, had planned to continue to go down, um, moved to Chicago planned to go to the Art Institute of Chicago there and then instead got a job. Well, before college started, got a job at a bakery and just never looked back, never went to school after that. just kind of went to the school of baking. (laughs) Um, And then from there, Stuart and I moved up to Northern Michigan where I started in the pastry kitchen. So that was my first official job in a kitchen was in Northern Michigan in a small town of 400, but at a really fantastic restaurant. Um, and then from there, we moved back to
2: San Francisco and sort of started our career here in the city. That about sums it up. <clears throat> um, I I, uh, I took the path of culinary school, um, and I had – I mean, ostensibly, I've, I've only cooked. Um, the only other job I've had uh, was I, I worked in – detergent factory for a few weeks, um, putting stickers on bottles. And, um, that was really just to buy a snowboard, um, that was, uh, in the early nineties. But I, I, really, I started cooking when I was in high school and, um, working in small, small little restaurants that evolved into bigger restaurants. And, um, uh, other than, you know, yeah, delivering papers as a paper boy, um, back when that was a thing, Um, (laughs) uh, but uh, so culinary school led me to New York and and, um, Nicole and I, we we met in California, we're from the Bay Area and we met as she said in college, we went off to Chicago to kind of rendezvous, um, that's where I did my internship and and, uh, I think between New York and Chicago and Michigan we spent about just a little under a decade. Of our of our kind of that you know of our twenties really learning to cook you know learning to be adults um, you know kind of growing tasting
0: saving together. up money to go to nice restaurants <laughs>
2: yeah traveling eating mm-hmm. dining and really kind of you know developing our own our own sense of of, of cooking style you know uh, under some pretty pretty great mentorship.
1: Yeah, nice. So obviously, like you mentioned, you guys worked around the country, you know, New York, Chicago, Michigan, and also traveled the world. So uh, obviously now you're back home in, in California, open the, the restaurant. So what would you say are some of the inspirations throughout the times before you started your, your restaurant? You know, any place that you come to mind immediately or kind of makes you change your viewpoint on certain things or interesting things mm. that you went into?
2: yeah that's interesting I think um you know we've, we've both of us have had pretty significant travel experiences together as well as as um individually um, you know I know uh in the early years of cooking you know and what really led me to go to culinary school was I was just totally totally like um blown away by French cuisine, right? To me, that was the, you know, the benchmark um, and sort of, it seemed like all the secrets of cooking were, were held in that. And so I, uh, you know, when I was maybe 21 or 22, went to France and, um, and cooked at a restaurant called Michel Rosting. A two Michelin star, and his bistro. Dakota, kind of bistro around the corner, um, and it was just a it was a it was a great experience. And Nicole had um, kind of flown over and met me there, and um, you know we spent a lot of time. Like we went to Lyon. Um, we spent a lot of time just basically hitting charcutiers and chocolatiers and. Bakeries. I think we did that every every day. That was our our sole purpose, and mm-hmm. then we would always end with some some really you know relative meal to where where the region that we were in, whether it was in Lyon or in Paris or in other other parts of France. And and that was kind of how we spent most of our days, not just there, but kind of in life mm-hmm. in general. Um, and you know, hitting like Michelin starred restaurants as well as Um, you know little bistros and and this is in the the late 90s and you know it was pretty uncommon to see you know kids we were kids we were like 21 years old you know essentially you know dining in in these restaurants and um, it 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 was it was very inspiring and very telling but interestingly enough was not what we what we wanted to do right but it was like sort of like you know, you're in the, we were in it so hard that it just, we just felt like we wanted to scour the landscape um, and truly learn as much as we could about that type of cuisine and, and the style of restaurants. Um, And, you know, ultimately it was one of those things that we never, neither of us strove for Michelin stars in our career so the irony there was, is that we enjoyed eating at, at the restaurants, but it wasn't something that we wanted to emulate. Um, you know, and I think obviously we were, we were truly transported by more of the, the bistros and the brasseries and the sort of soulful, you know, like the blue collar restaurants that really, um, the working man's restaurants, right? I mean, essentially, that's what a bistro is. And, um, we, uh, I just, I found to me that that was like where the love of cooking lived. Right. And it was where cooks kind of, you know, sque- squeezed flavor out of a dish towel. And, um, you know, that was, that was to me, the soul, and it had purpose. And, um, I think that, um, you know, we always appreciate that, the high art mastery of Michelin starred cooking, but we fell in love with, um, with, uh, you know, the, the soul of cooking through the lens of just like the everyday people. And I think that was really informative uh, for us as we started to increase um, our love for cuisines in other regions, right? Where our focus, and it was primarily just I wanted to decode, for me, I wanted to decode cooking. Right. And I felt like that that's where the code and the philosophy to live was in French cooking. And what I really learned about that is is it gave me I I felt like I cracked the code of food in the world. And through that, I was able to kind of look through, you know, Italian and Spanish and um, and Asian Asian cookery as well. Um, And really tap into kind of our our own backgrounds and experiences with food through, through the lens of our personal friendships growing up and in the Bay area is incredibly multi-ethnic, um, and very diverse. And, you know, sort of like we, we started to really interplay those flavors in our own cooking, um, and, uh, and broadened our, our desire for cooking, um, and uh cooking that happens around the world right it was a long-winded answer
1: (laughs) no it's good it's uh, it informs a lot about your approach and how you think about food itself and your point when i travel obviously you know there's the high-end restaurants that you know people go to and i myself enjoy obviously too but a lot of the really local food like for example when i went to poland like all of the milk bars that they have it's it's like you said it's a homemade kind of food it's not anything fancy but it just when you go in you have that it really hits the spot kind of feeling
2: yeah well and i yeah. think it, it again it, it really holds the secrets of the culture right i mean mm-hmm. you know it's the people's people's food right it, it it sort of taps into you know to me that's how you tap into culture is you tap in through the food system Right? And then you really learn a lot about the people and, and who they are. It's you know, it's that old that old saying, the Briat Savran, you know, saying, just tell me what you eat, and I'll tell you who you are. And there's so there's so much truth to that.
1: Definitely, yeah. So with that, you know, talking about culture of different uh, I guess food cultures around the world. the way you serve food, I guess, mostly before COVID hit off um it was using dim sum carts and trays which i find very cool because i am chinese myself and i grew up in hong kong so
0: um,
1: even cool. even yeah even in hong kong that is not actually that popular anymore because obviously the operational you know you have to yeah. find someone to serve it that way and, and that whole thing it just gets complicated right, so right. does that impact the way you know, you guys cook or do you guys serve how does that change anything
2: Absolutely. Yes. Um, so, you know, when we opened state bird, we took this idea where again, when I said crack the code to understanding cuisine earlier, there was this other thing that we were trying to do with, you know, um, with state bird, um, was, was, there was really a couple of different metrics that we were using. One was is that we wanted to cook with freedom and flexibility, right? And we didn't know what that meant totally. Um, and carts and trays, not unlike hors d'oeuvres and, you know, tapas, you know, and izakaya, and, you know, um, these these, um, styles of eateries that we love, which is all small plates driven and kind of a little like, you know, wild and crazy, right? It's got a little bit of that kind of food on the edge, right? Whether it's just like you know, digging deep into, you know, ovals or its flavor profiles that are like unique, but like you only need a couple of bites. We wanted to do that, but we didn't, we knew that in this country that, that, um, small plates gets really confusing for people. Right. And it's taken a couple of decades to really kind of suss that out and understand it. Um, you know, American people, we just, as a as a culture, we don't have a country uh, and tradition of small plates, right? In Spain, you go, you know, in San Sebastian, you go from tapas bar to tapas. And, you know, you have a little bit of this here and a, and a glass of wine here and a vermouth there and a beer here. You know, and each place is kind of known for something. and, and But it's like grandmothers are walking the streets with their kids and their grandkids playing. You know, It so it's a whole cultural uh experience right um you know and in you know dim sum obviously is you know food that's really around tea and it's these small you know um you know there there's no meal right there's small dishes and so we wanted to crack the code and so um in prior to opening up state bird we had done a number of hors d'oeuvre parties they were like no entrees, but they wanted enough food. People who hired us wanted enough food that would like last them through the dinner hour that you didn't need to have dinner after. Right. Um, and so we kind of picked up on a lot of that. And we said, you know, man, we could build a whole restaurant around this idea and, and really love it. And so that's kind of the birth of State Bird. And, and the trays and carts were really kind of pulling inspiration from, you know, the, the Chinese dim sum model or the efficiencies that I think that they, that they boast. Um, and, you know, not unlike passing food on an hors d'oeuvre platter, you know, you're eating with your eyes, right? You see it and then you get to make your choice whether you want it or not. And I just love that idea. And it, actually, it's an, incredible, it's, a, it's an incredible sales model, right? It's not words on a paper. It's imagery in, in, in live form and aroma and aroma, and energy. And the beauty of it is, is that we just can sell anything and that's cool, right? You don't have to have a salesperson, a waiter, sell your food. The food sells itself. And, um, so it starts to tap into like that, that sort of another sense of dining. And, um, that it definitely changes the way we cook because now you're not just making one dish and you know kind of perfect and putting it up you're making six dishes so you know you're you're there is a scalable aspect to it which is really cool so there is efficiency there um we're also able to kind of you know there's no menu per se when you're putting food out on trays and carts so it's an it's incredibly efficient when it comes to food waste because you you have none. If you have six, let's say you, you run a special in a restaurant or a menu item is coming off and you don't sell it all out on Tuesday night, but you're changing the menu the next day, but you still have like six of these, you have to count on somebody selling it. In our case, all we do is, is just make the six dishes, put it onto a cart, and it goes out. Um, so from like the,
0: the people, in the next wave have no idea it was on the, right? They're not disappointed because it's on the menu, but it's no longer available.
2: Yeah, that's right. Um, so it's, it's an incredibly efficient and really kind of like a free that there's the freedom and flexibility of cooking is, is that now you can kind of just cook. You don't, you're not totally, uh, bound by a menu. Uh, per se. Now we do have an anchor menu, and of course we have a menu that we're starting with uh, of all these small plates, but we usually have a handful of dishes that are just like maybe three or four of something or six or a dozen or sometimes even two, right? Um, that we'll use. So it's kind of cool. I mean I, I, I think it's a really a really um, it's a smart way. Um, and you know it really does change you know what you can do, what's possible, right? So, um, that's kind of neat.
1: Yeah. It sounds like that allows you to change directions very quickly. And
2: in the, in the early days, um, we used to, um, I used to just bring mise en place ingredients to the line. And I would, you know, when I worked the station, I would just sort of have a bunch of kind of stuff, right. With, not, with no real intentions as to what direction it was going. And, you know, we were, a, we were not quite as busy as we are now at that time. And I would just cook throughout the night, and I would just make things up as I went. And, um, you know, if one of the dishes came back or I'd put one up, taste it. So some of it was just like totally – it was very, um, you know, just in the moment uh, cooking um and so you know i mean i cook like that for a lot of my years in 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 general you know if you know for wine pairings or special menus i'd put together at, at you know at, at other restaurants um you know i'd always have a, a few odds and ends so I would kind of put together and you know kind of do something that you know maybe would actually make it to the to the menu um and sometimes it was just like no let's just cook you know i'd have like a dozen sardines and some squid that I'd stuff and you know again it didn't it wasn't a fully realized dish until it hit the plate which is kind of cool
1: that sounds (laughs) very creative in that way yeah for sure now you guys uh, have sort of special specialty of your own so obviously uh chef Krasinski you you specialize in desserts and and pastry (laughs) and uh you know chef Biosa yourself is more savory so how do you guys find that, you know, with those two mixed together, how do you guys work together? Like, is it you guys share a lot of ideas? Do you guys, you know, separate completely or how does it work? Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. In the early, the early, early years, <laughs> when we at re- the restaurant it, up in northern Michigan, I had my own separate kitchen in a different area of the restaurant. So I was very separated from the savory side and that kind of gave me space to learn how to be a pastry chef because I had never worked in a kitchen before. Um, so sort of Stuart and I would talk about things and brainstorm together. Um, and then I would make them and hope they come, hope they would come out well. And sometimes they didn't, sometimes they didn't. Um, and then also actually at Rubicon, when we moved to San Francisco, I had a what, the pastry kitchen was on the second floor and the savory kitchen was on the main floor. So again, I had, my own space. And at that point I kind of had my bearings and was off and running on my own, but we did a lot, I would say, collaborating there because of the wine program being so significant and doing all these wine dinners, we really had to have menus that flowed really well. And one of the things that has always been very important to us, and this I think came from eating out a lot together before we were even cooking together was that we found at a lot of restaurants you would, through an entire menu and then at the end desserts would come and it was like at a concert when they turn the lights on and the music stops and it's like time to go it's like a whole different experience (laughs) and so we really wanted to focus on having the dessert portion of the meal flow like seamlessly and feel Mm -hmm. like it was just a like continuation of the savory portion um so through the time in Michigan and then at Rubicon we really solidified that and then moving into State Bird the pastry there was no pastry kitchen I was working basically on the line with everyone else so this was the first time we'd ever kind of worked next to each other mm. which was interesting because it was like it was an opportunity for me to like look so, over and for, see for, for, for Nicole
2: to steal my <laughs> music, to <really>. see
0: <laughs> what they had that I thought would be delicious and vice versa, I think, yeah. <laughs> so there was a lot of like, oh, that actually could really work well on a dessert. Like, I'm going to put that up here and remember when it goes off the menu, see see if my idea comes comes through. Um, and there are a few dishes that remain on the current State Bird menu that we developed together as a very collaborative dish. So the we have a duck liver mousse with almond biscuits. So it's basically an almond financier, and I had been making this financier as a sweet financier, and Stuart asked if I could turn it into a savory financier for him, so I just swapped out the clarified butter with duck fat, oh. and so it's the, the financier has some honey and cream in it, so it's a little bit of a richer financier than a traditional one, um, and the original version actually had duck confit folded into it, and it was baked into a terrine and then sliced. Mm. Uh, so that, and then also the pancake. There's like a few the pan- pancakes yeah, the pancake that we collaborated section. on. Yeah.
2: The um, flatbread. The
0: flatbread. Yeah. So a, there's a lot of crossover when, whenever flour's involved, generally the pastry kitchen gets to be involved in that project.
2: Yeah, it's really, it's really cool that, you know, the intersection of, of our of our food is is pretty apparent when you, when you look at the menu and read it.
1: So you guys basically share a lot of ideas and work together mm-hmm. rather seamlessly that way. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. Ab- absolutely. Yeah. There was something I for years, I mean, you know, be- before we, we had a, a child of our own and, you know, three restaurants, you know, our conversations were incredibly food driven and talking about our, our dishes that we were working on yeah. and, you know, like tasting together. We tasted a lot of food together over the years, it really kind of um, created this very complementary style.
1: That sounds like a good place really to be at, working obviously as well as visiting, because to your point, it's not you know, like a lot of times I think what happens, to my mind at least, is where if you have a savory chef and a, and a a dessert or pastry chef, that obviously they're usually separate, and so if they don't really communicate, then everything's just sort of like you said, it just kind of breaks in the middle? Yep.
2: Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, this, we, we, we've, we've set the foundation really, really solidly, uh, you know, over, I mean, now we've been cooking together um, for two decades and, um, you know, we've been together for a little over that time. And um, so, you know, we've, we've, we really kind of know each other's flavors quite well. But there's still Mm -hmm. moments of genius that come out that like all taste of her desserts and just kind of like wow where did this come from you know like we haven't talked about this (laughs) we need to have a conversation and it's just it's awesome so there's still like those really unique moments of of surprise Mm -hmm. which is you know it's good for the relationship too
1: (laughs) i guess you guys are very happy together that's that's a that's a great thing (laughs) So in terms of, you know, expanding that a little bit, obviously you have a big menu and a very improvised sort of creative menu. Um, how do you manage the prep work? And I imagine that actually creates sort of challenges in terms of operationally. How does it work as well?
2: Mm. Well, you know, um, at, this, at this moment, I mean, we're three restaurants. We have three restaurants. Um, two are in one building. And the third is just right around the corner. And we use the restaurant as kind of a, the mothership that the progress and state we have a, above it. We have a commissary kitchen where we do all of our butchery. Um, it's where we do all of our fermentations and sauce making and kind of the, the core, the heart of all three restaurants kind of comes from this central location within the building. Um, and the pastry kitchen is right there as well. So, um, and we have, we're, we're incredibly spoiled um, with, you know, ostensibly four chefs that are, that are running each department. So along with Nicole is uh, uh, Kat Kwan, who is um, our pastry chef, uh, co-pastry chef and at State Bird, I have, you know, Gabby Maeda has been with me for, with us for six and a half years as a line cook and is now running the kitchen. And it's just magic to see her, her influence. Um, And the team that we've got there is just, uh, it's an incredible team. You know, at the progress we have Hans Lund and the progress isn't quite open yet. We're doing some work before we get reopened. Um, But he's, he's been our butcher and ran the commissary and helped me develop uh, you know, the most recent foundation of all of our newest creations and fermentations and, you know, uh, various programs. And then Koji uh, is our chef at Anchovy Bar. And, you know, so as much as I would love to say that we're in the kitchen every day doing prep, um, you know, what we're doing is, is that the, the, when we go back to the foundation of what we've built, is is that we manage the foundation. And really what we do is we taste a lot of food with our chefs. So we're building that same relationship that we've mm-hmm. built together with our chefs and really working through ideas and tasting food. And to me, it, it does multiple things, is that it gives credence to the dish that they're working on And that it sort of passes the criteria of the restaurant being that we're sort of the key holders, Um, you know, and for the chefs, what it does is it gives them ownership over a dish because it's an idea that, you know, perhaps I'll have or that we'll have together or it's their idea. And then we soundboard it through experimentation and then of we, we call it like let's just get you know make a few brush, brush strokes, you know, get some food on a plate. It doesn't have to be a final, but just to kind of get the idea, especially if it's a little esoteric or if it's kind of like hmm, I'm not totally certain if I follow these flavors. We'll taste it and we'll just kind of go, is this worth going further on, right? And um, it's a pretty cool system and it's a really interactive system. And uh, one that, you know, it, it allows the restaurants to sort of maintain their focus, right? But also to expand, you know, our palates, right? And ultimately, it delivers just even a, a, a dish that is unexpected. Um, so that's kind of like how we manage the prep aspect of it, right? Um, we do spend time in the kitchen. We try to dedicate, a, you know, a, a slew of hours through the week, you know, just to be working with the in the kitchen. Um, a lot of it is, is, you know, creating this larder, right? We have an enormous larder of ingredients. Um, we, we run a biodynamic farm as well. Um, that kind of. It uh, really has a, a, a positive impact on the restaurants. And it's kind of a playground for the chefs, so to speak, and for us. Um, And through that, we often find ourselves with an abundant of, of a harvest. And in that abundance, we have to act quickly (laughs) because, you know, food is perishable. And so we come up with, you know, ways of preservation or through fermentation or curing or aging or whatever, whatever the process requires. And then, this just goes into the collection. It has no destination in mind at the time, right? And then we'll pull it out, I mean, sometimes two years later, right? Like whether it's a, an aged garlic and miso or if it's, a, you know, a kosho. We're using koshos. Of course, we, we lost a year. So I have this huge backlog, <laughs> backlog of <laughs> jarred goods. And we make a lot of very, a variety of co-shows and, you know, um, it's fun now to see my chefs like pulling them out and like making a dish and I'm like, wow, what's that flavor? And then they will like, you know, we'll talk about it. And I'm like, okay, I need to go back and I taste, I'll go through and taste the various co-shows that are now a year and a half old. Normally we'll use them in six months and they're now they've got a full extra year and they're really developed in a unique way that have given an umami flavor it's you know it's this kind of constant quest that we're after and oftentimes it's sort of like we're creating dishes based on what we've got hanging around right and that's a really fun way to cook and again it's a style that state bird really picked up on early in the early days um through abundance and curiosity and um you know we've got just this larder is just it's enormous it's actually it's shrunk a little bit but it's slowly gaining (laughs) gaining its its place back you know um it's pretty cool so i don't know again a long-winded answer you know to how we do things but you know we operate you know again three restaurants that have three distinctively um Criteria is all are intertwined with one another. That's the other great thing. Um, You know, progress. We tend to do a lot of whole animal work um, and all the little bits and bobbles get turned into something really creative that we can sell at State Bird, Um, you know, so we're, we're not forced to have to use a whole animal only at one restaurant. It also gives us enough to where we're not doing this on a random note, right? We're doing it every week. We bring a pig in, five lambs, you know, ninety ducks, you know. So we create a lot of byproduct through this process, and that byproduct requires creative solutions. And so, with a very creative culinary team um, that we all communicate together, um, it's pretty—it's pretty impressive what goes down in the kitchens.
1: I like that because it's almost like, first of all, it sounds like almost like when you're moving into a house where things slowly get built up, you get more and more stuff inside. Good stuff, but you get more and more stuff. Yeah.
2: That's funny.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And also the fact that, you know, you were saying basically it's a playful approach, but as well, then everyone gets to be a stakeholder. Then it's not just Mm -hmm. I'm doing this on my command, so to speak.
2: Yeah, I think that to me, those days yeah. are gone, right? Like, I, I, I want to, you know, I mean, at 47 this year, you know, I really feel like my role is, is, to create, is to create chefs and to inspire the younger generation. And, you know, there's a disconnect between being a 47-year-old chef and a 22-year-old cook. You know, and so we create the house and we create incredible people who can connect with these, you know, and it creates a really great, positive environment. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're watching our, our cooks, our 22-year-old cooks become 25-year-old sous chefs, become 28, 29-year-old chef de cuisines, and, you know, then watching them really grow and working through those processes are, are very, they're very meaningful in a way that I would not have guessed 10 years ago. Right. As a, as a chef who had a lot to prove, you know, even at 37, that's when we opened state bird, you know, and we had earned Michelin stars and we'd had run our own kitchens and restaurants, but now, now it was our show and our rules and our, our house. And, um, you know, yeah, I wouldn't have been able to tell you 10 years ago that this is where I wanted to be. But I, I love that position. And I think it's an incredibly important position to be in. And I hope my other chef friends see that too in their own
1: businesses. Right. The uh growth of sort of everyone's growth as far as person and also as a chef that way. Mm. So, it's our
2: job. We have a responsibility.
1: Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, yeah. So everyone faces challenges, obviously, especially the pandemic and everything. So for you guys, you know, you guys touched on it a little bit earlier. How did you guys manage your work-life balance as far as your restaurant and then your business as well as your familial, parental responsibilities?
0: Yeah, it changed over the course of the last 15 months. Right when we closed, we laid off hundred employees. And so that was a big moment for us as a business and kind of, we had to just step back for a few weeks. And once we realized it wasn't coming back right away, like we originally thought, we just, we all stepped back and took, took some time. Um, and we were just sort of at home together. And then once we were like, okay, now we can kind of see what the next few weeks look like. We think we can start planning, like, what what's our first step to rebuilding the business? Doing some to-go, doing some packs of food. We brought back, you know, some of those key managers that we knew wanted to come back and that we wanted to retain. Um, that was sort of the first wave. And then we worked through that through the summer, just started doing some outdoor dining and. Then when school got back in session, our son was at home. Hmm. So I sort of took on the job of a fourth grade teacher, flash business owner, and would, you know, work with him in the morning and then come into work for a few hours and check in with the team and do some things in the office and then go back. Um, and Stuart was just sort of here with the team.
2: Yeah, it was a, it was a divide and conquer scenario for sure um, but you know also it to be totally honest it gave us an opportunity to really set some boundaries you know um, that were very important and help set those boundaries with our, our staff too um, and we were able to kind of do that through you know we, we, we did our best to operate without a total survivalist mentality right like we know we'll get through this you know let's not lose our souls let's lose you know let's keep the you know let's keep the positivity in our restaurants and we worked really hard to to find that balance um and you know quite frankly it added to a pretty pretty great work life balance um albeit very challenging, um, and, and stressful, uh, but we were making some great accomplishments, I think, with our restaurant and, um, from a a home perspective, it allowed us to really every night to have a meal together. Um, you know, that was really important to all of us is that, you know, that we, I cooked a lot at home and, you know, (laughs) we, um, you know, we were proud that we were able to, Create as many jobs as we we did during the time um, and that was a big deal for us and it was not you know I mean I think that there's a there's a there's a strong sector of the hospitality industry that wasn't okay with sitting on unemployment and um, they just they need to work and not just for the financial purposes but for you know, for their creative purposes, for their to kind of keep themselves balanced, and I think even through the challenges, work played a very significant role for all of us because it gave us an opportunity to to just well, I mean, not just one opportunity, many opportunities to think outside of the box. <laughs> that was a constant, um, but also to find grounding, right? As we've been able to rebuild, um, and you know, we removed a lot of the, the we try to remove as many of the challenges as possible and keep our focus on what we do best as a restaurant and you know again to give uh, the best ex- I guess the to, to really validate our own careers that we've built right you know we have two at that you know two restaurants and we opened a third in the middle of the pandemic um you know we're a big restaurant we're not a tiny restaurant anymore and we can't just go changing on a dime and i think that became very obvious um and again i think uh you know what's what's been still very apparent and very important to us is striking that work-life balance um and, um, you know, and yet our younger chefs are like, rawr, you know, they just want to charge, you know, they're just, they're ready. And we learned that too, that we are surrounded by people who are ready for their next step, you know, and we would like it to be here with yeah. us. So it's been very apparent for us to not necessarily step back, but maybe step, in it to the side and or even stand behind mm-hmm. our our you know our chefs too to take on more responsibility and to take on a bigger role because they want that right and um it's that's been a really great pivot point for us you know and it's allowing us to now not only be the chefs that we want to continue to be but to continue mm-hmm. Uh, a legacy in our restaurants right and create a launching a springboard for our chefs you know to and and honestly our front of the house team as well wine and management team a springboard for them to really you know take the next steps in their own career whether it's with us or or beyond Uh, we of course hope it's with us (laughs) and so far that's working out (laughs)
1: I totally agree. It seems like it's something that it's very individual in terms of you know, what your goal is as a personal interest or you know, what you want to achieve. It's a very personal thing. So uh, the more you sort of understand people that you work with and what they want to, where they want to get to, I think that adds a lot of value as far as not just to your restaurant, but also to your point. People that are working with you, I think that really be would be helpful.
2: Probably. Yeah. Now we've, we learned through this time that we want our restaurants to be known for a place where it's a, it's a place where you can grow, that your ideas are going to be respected and that it's an opportunity to take next steps in your own career. And uh, honestly, to be very safe spots too. you know, uh, places uh, uh, where any anybody can be here and feel safe as an employee and to be those kind of employers are very important to us.
1: For sure, especially now in this environment, everyone yeah. have mental health and sort of equality on the top of mind. So that's certainly yeah. very important.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, uh, going back, I guess, the last couple of questions. Thanks again for spending your time with us. Um, what are your favorite items that none of you've been around for a while, a long time? <laughs> and <laughs> what are your favorite items? Uh, and then, what do you, where do you guys go when you are out in in the city? Mm.
2: Favorite items on the menu. On the
0: menu uh, well, for the pastry menu, we always have the ice cream sandwich. On And the flavor changes about every three three weeks. And it's just one of those things that you really never get tired of eating and tasting and creating. Because it's kind of like just a blank palette. And somehow we rarely ever in the 10 years have done the same flavor twice. Except for one flavor, which is eggnog. And that always comes in December. (laughs) Other than that, it's always new. Um, And... For the savory menu, I think the pork belly dish is just so s- fantastic, <laughs> and every time I have it, I'm always delighted at how delicious it is. Mm-hmm. And like, I love plating it when we're at events, and I get to plate it. It's just it always has like fresh fruit, like plums or citrus and season or grapes, and the pork belly. The texture is just so amazing. Mm. <laughs> I have mad That's respect for the pork belly. Dish. It wasn't on when we were doing to go and other things. And then when it finally came back, it was like, Oh, here it is.
2: <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Um, I have been, you know, it's funny. We almost, we almost did this thing this year where we were going to take off the state bird. Um, and you know, we kind of, we, we took a little break during the winter and during that time I was like, do we even Do we need to have the state bird? You know, you're questioning everything, right? Does it need to, shouldn't we like grow from this and do something totally different and like, you know, kind of make a blanketed statement? And the answer was no. (laughs) And I'm so glad that it was no, because like I ate one just the other night. I don't eat the fried quail as that often anymore. But the other day, it was just looking so good. And I was like, I, I need to have one. And it was magic. And it was like, I'm so glad that this didn't come off the menu. That being said, what we did create to make that statement is is that we do a quail of the month. So we call it the cover bird. And every month, like a centerfold, we make a special quail dish for that month. And it's been a really fun um you know, it was a challenge I threw out there for for you know Chef Gabby and and Chef Nancy, who are running the kitchen at State Bird. And I was like, I'll take the first month, and then you guys, it'll give you a month to kind of work on a dish for the next one. And it's been just so much fun, and and the diners really appreciate it. So it was our way of holding on to an old school dish. I mean, that was the re- that dish was the reason why State Bird provisions exists today it, that was the start of it and um and uh you know but it's a way of like looking at you know nearly 10 years down the road and a pandemic later um that we're like deviating a little bit you know um and it, that's cool it's really cool so that's that's one of those that i love mm-hmm. and as far as dining out you know i mean it's it's a funny one we become creatures of habit, right? You know, you have your, you have your things that you just crave, uh, from certain restaurants and we haven't done a tremendous amount of dining, um, just through the pandemic. We've done a lot of our own cooking and, um, you know, I mean, I think a lot of chefs are in the same boat that they just kind of were like needed to kind of just take a break. And, you know, what we love about restaurants is, is the restaurants in their full vision, Right. And, you know, versus like a, a slightly, you know, a pandemic impacted vision. So it's been hard to kind of want to dine out. Um, and, and I know I'm not alone in this. And as things open up, we've been taking on more, uh, more meals out, which has been incredibly inspiring. I never realized how much I needed to eat out at restaurants until you take literally a year away and you're kind of quarantined in your own household. Right. It's like, you need this. And so, um, you know, some of my, you know, the things like we made a list of like rest uh, dishes. And one that comes top, top of mind is, is no here in San Francisco. They do a, a puzzle that's just magic. And whether you eat it there, actually I prefer to take it home. Um, because then we can eat it at home, and it's just magic. Um, that dish is fantastic. Um, we recently took a trip down to LA, actually, just this past few days, and um, we didn't really have a whole. We didn't have an eating, a dining agenda, but we went to, you know, Justa, which is one of my favorites down there, um, just because it's just a, a neat place, and it was wonderful to taste that food again um and then we we went to a, a an old friend of ours that we haven't that we had never eaten her food in her restaurant we've done events together and we've um, had some cool you know kind of friendships aligned but we never made it to a restaurant and that was squirrel and i mentioned this because i think she had a really you know everybody had a different relationship with the pandemic and I have admired Jessica Koslow from a distance and um, have enjoyed getting to know her over the years and just admire what she does and what she's created. And I got to tell you, that was exciting. We ate there on Monday. We had breakfast. Mm-hmm. Tuesday Tuesday morning, we had breakfast. And it was magical. And I just think, you know, the world of what they do. And, um, again, tasting her food was just fantastic so if that was in my backyard i would be a regular for Mm -hmm. sure for sure and there's a whole handful of others you know i mean some of my favorite restaurants are honestly are are my friends restaurants right we've developed relationships over the years so ravi kapoor and Leho, uh you know evan rich yeah evan rich and sarah rich at rich table Mm -hmm. Sylvan Brackets, Rintaro is just magic. Um, the ramen
0: shop in the East Bay.
2: Yeah. These are, you know, these are people who are, our I feel like that we all share a similar DNA and um, I, uh, I, I, I enjoy their camaraderie. And during this time, even, even more, uh, Mr. Jews, Brandon Jew, I mean, uh, Aaron London at Al's place. Um, I, I know I'm forgetting a lot of people, but, these are people who, who have uh, who, who we've, we we've solidified relationships and friendships over the years and we share cooks we share ideas we share meals together i love eating in their restaurants and i can't wait to do it again
1: yeah it's funny i actually just uh, had a conversation with chef kapoor a couple of days ago so it's interesting oh, to, awesome yeah to get his idea as well so it's really cool
2: it's great good yeah. for you yeah, he's a good one.
1: Yeah. So, last questions. Obviously, aside from the reopening of uh, and the continuation of the new restaurant, any exciting plans coming up in the future?
2: Ooh, any exciting plans? <laughs> I think you know we, we don't th- we don't really
0: want excitement right now. We, <laughs> want, we just really want nor like the day to day, right? We want to get. Get the day to day, maybe take a vacation. <laughs> but we, with the progress reopening, it's kind of a bigger reopening than Staford or Antopia Bar. We're doing some remodeling of the space, and it really is a full team—a new GM, a new chef, whole new, almost the entire yeah, new front menu. and back of the house. Yeah. New menu, new so menu
2: design, and you know, it feels
0: like a restaurant opening, which is exciting.
2: You know, we're gonna we're gonna take some of the ideas that we. Have long to do, and we're going to incorporate it into the progress because we realize we have it right here. And so, without needing to build a whole new restaurant, we get the opportunity to rebuild an old friend, right? So, I think that's a pretty exciting thing. So, we're looking forward. We're, we've we've worked very hard to stabilize the other two restaurants. We've developed really incredible teams, and now we're going on to the third. Um, yeah, we're, I mean, we're reopening three restaurants this year. Oh. Maybe next year we'll start to put our head above water and think about what's oh. next. Yeah.
1: Sounds <laughs> like that's a lot of uh, stuff to handle already, right? So thanks again for uh, joining us, uh, Chef Spiosa and Krasinski. And, uh, you know, once things go back to normal, hopefully I'll get back get to uh, San Francisco and visit you guys.
2: Yep. Well, thank you for talking to us.
1: Okay. Thanks again, and uh, hope to see you soon. Sounds
2: okay. Good. Great, Carrie. Take care.